ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Back for another episode of Peak Speak. Welcome, John. Yeah, hey, Thomas. How you going? <laughs> I went to a tool concert on the weekend and it was, uh, it was an eye opening experience. It was esoteric. Esoteric, that's the one. <laughs> So, for those of you who are uh, not informed, that is not the dulcet tones of John Sheridan. This is actually, believe it or not, our media team. Sam Williams, welcome. How you doing, Thomas? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. That's the way. So, Sam's up in town and uh, made sense to get you on the podcast, seeing you're the whole reason the podcast exists in its oh, current thanks. form. That <laughs> We really couldn't do it without you, Sam, so thank you so much for coming on board. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Who are you? Yeah, so uh, I'm Media Team Sam, and um, what I do for work is uh, kind of a lot of things, uh, sort of movies, um, video game stuff, um, freelance photography and videography. Uh, so the reason I'm up, I'm up this, this time is I've got a freelance sort of videography uh, gig for a client up here. Um, so I sort of spent the first couple of days up here doing that sort of thing, and um yeah, staying with Thomas now, and yeah, we thought we'd put together an episode. Yeah, basically, John has disappeared for the weekend, and we didn't have an episode, so we had to throw something together really quick. Yeah, he's gone camping, hasn't he? I think so, yeah. yeah so. Yes. Um, so, on uh, on Instagram, people can find you on Loomis the Great or Loomis Prince. Yes, either of those work. So, I have some uh, Loomis Prince in my home. Basically, it's photography, drone shots mainly that you've taken. Yeah, yeah. Um, I work with a printer down in Adelaide, I sort of... Went to a couple of places and found one that does does a really good job. So, yeah, um, been selling those, which has been good. Yeah, cool. Um, and, yeah, sort of uh, doing the podcast and trying to, you know, work my job and freelance and prints yeah, and yeah. podcasts. And well, we'll throw you on the spot. Can you do like a peak speak discount code for people listening to this episode? Yeah, absolutely. I can uh, I'll offer free shipping. Um, yeah, sweet. I'll put together a, code, a peak speak code and then it'll be free shipping. Yeah, well, you're, you're normally the one that posts the episode that we share anyway, so yeah. just chuck it in that. Yeah, I'll put it in the description. The, the prints are really cool. So what what is your page on Instagram? Um, it's called Loomis, so L-E-U-M-A-S, and then underscore prints. Um, so I've just, I've sort of lived in quite a few spots around Australia and stuff, and I just always take the drone out and, and take a bunch of sort of nature, landscape -y type photos. Um, so yeah, trying to work that up and... Um, because I'd, I'd love to do more of that as well. So mm. it's just about balancing it with everything else. Yeah, they're really um, nice. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. I've got three of them sitting here in my uh, 
in my living room. They look great. Yeah, you've got a couple of different, you know, ocean one. Yep. The tree one. The and, tree. Uh, I love the tree. Yeah, yeah. It's like this galaxy star quest taken up from a tree. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll share it on my story when um, when we put the episode out. But Loomis is Samuel backwards, if, you, if you're wondering what that means. So yeah. that's how people can find you. And yeah, we'll throw a peek's peak code and go have a look at his page. And if you really like his stuff, buy a print or two. And yeah, that, I mean, that supports Sam and Sam supports us. So that'd be helpful. Yeah, thanks very much. And uh, <coughs> I guess I can make the same code as the code we use for our uh, sponsors. <laughs> oh, Sam. coffee. You're all over it. Love it. We're, we're fueled by that this morning. That's, yes. Um, yep. On a peak from the... Well, we went back to the taxi blender this morning. Yeah. Sam taught me how to do milk art, so now I'm a pro with that. Did a nice little love heart. Yeah. You left a nice nice marking in mine. It's sort of unidentified, but... <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, yeah, uh, too X-rated to talk about what it looked like on the show. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, we do need to keep things pretty power lefty. So, how did you uh, how did you find your love of training? Yeah, so I um, sort of growing up, I was like a pretty sort of skinny, fat sort of sort of kid, um, and then uh, I basically moved to Sydney when I was nineteen for work, um, and kind of just noticed my body weight was just all over the place. Like I sort of started off skinny, and then kind of got quite fat and you know all sort of all in between um so i was like me and my mate were like right we'll just join the the jets down the road and just sort of 24 hour just a whole bunch of machines and too much biceps and all that sort of stuff um never enough biceps never enough biceps yeah (laughs) and then um i kind of just i saw online there were lots of people that were sort of doing powerlifting who also looked kind of how i wanted to look yep so i was like oh that's a sweet combo like good bang for your buck to be able to like look better and also be strong yep um so uh, yeah I, I started doing that for a while and uh you know just got into the big three lifts you know squat bench and deadlift um started to sort of follow more powerlifty type programs and then um yeah i remember i was up on the gold coast one day and you know i was looking for a, a powerlifting gym that was sort of nearby and I just yeah, literally Googled, you know, powerlifting Gold Coast. Uh, and then, yeah, the old gym at, um, at Runaway Bay popped yeah. up. And I was like, oh, it's literally around the corner. So I walked in there one day and, uh, yeah, you were at the front desk. And, and um, yeah, I think I, like, maxed out deadlifts that day or something. <laughs> it yeah. pretty ugly. I reckon it's like, still on my, uh, on my Instagram somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, from that moment... I just sort of kept coming up to the Gold Coast and training at that gym. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so we, we got to be good friends then. And then, uh, yeah, when I moved to the Gold Coast a couple of years ago, I just started training full-time at your gym. Yeah. Um, and it was a good tie-in because I obviously do a lot of videography stuff so I could start filming um, all the big lifts and the atmosphere and stuff. I love sort of filming just kind of like little documentary-style sort of things. So, yeah, just running around the gym with the camera and, and getting big lifts and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've, I've only ever done one competition and it was that novice compact at the runaway Bay gym there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was, um, shortly after you had come for that first time, right? It was only a couple of months, I think. Yeah, I think so. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't have any coaching into that. I just kind of ran random programs that I found and mm. did what I kind of thought was, was the right thing. But I remember I took that comp pretty seriously. Like I had the soft suit and I had the, um, you know, I did a little bit of like water cutting, you know, the night before, like all the things you probably wouldn't worry about normally. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, no, let's do it properly. Had and to get the full powerlifting experience. Exactly. Yeah. The whole, you know, weigh in in the morning and then smash Lucas aids and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, it was a great day. Like yeah. I think I came third or something, but it was um, biggest deadlift of the day. It's yeah. What'd you pull? 220? 225, I think. Yeah. Which, um, yeah, it's not huge or anything, but yeah, I had a good a good uh, first comp experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, since then I've still just kept up training, but yeah, I haven't competed since then. So mm. um, I get stuck in that rut of like, oh no, bench has to be way better before I do another comp, which just is forever. Yeah. So I really should just throw my hat in the ring again at some point. Yeah, for sure, mm. for sure. It's it's always interesting. Like I think um, it doesn't matter what level of experience you are. 
there's almost always an inkling of that. There's almost an inkling of like, oh, I'm not ready for this comp or I have to do better than I was before. I, I did last time or I have to PB or I have to win or whatever. Exactly. Um, I think for a lot of people that never actually goes away. Mm. And for people who are really experienced and at the top, it becomes a real bad thing because they lose the fire for comps. They lose yeah. the interest in comps. They lose the kind of um, push that comps give you when you just enter them. Um, and you can find yourself not competing for years and mm. years. Like it, I mean, for you, it's obviously far more of a hobby than people who take this super, super seriously. Yeah. But, you know, for those people that do take it super seriously, getting in that mindset of like, oh, I just have to be better. Oh, no, I'm not going to bench as much as I did last time or whatever. You find yourself three years down the track, you haven't competed. And in the process, because you've lost that intrinsic drive or motivation, that you're weaker than you were before anyway. Exactly. It can be a real trap. And it's kind of like, I don't know why that thought gets stuck in people's heads. Like there's some, there's some almighty judge that you didn't, you didn't progress far enough on bench since the first comp or whatever. When, when realistically the people that just keep, keep at it, you know, like regardless of whether they're making huge jumps or whatever, are getting the competition experience. So it's just, yeah, I think those people will always, you know, the people that are always just trying no matter what will, will push through. But yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, I was, I was talking to you in the car about how some people really need the, like, they need that competition on the horizon to to stay driven. Mm. Whereas for me, I'm just kind of go insane if I don't lift. So I just kind of lift and then, you know, occasionally I might get the fire or something to, to sort of pick it up, you know, pick up the game a little bit and you know, mm. try for a PB or whatever. But yeah, it's, for, more, for me, it's more about just staying like relatively strong for me and, and yeah. that sort of thing. Do you... When you do things like, um, so Sam came with me to Pro Raw uh, 11, Pro Raw 11, yeah. Yeah, the last the one. The last one, one. yeah. That's right. Um, and he filmed all, all of the Zero lifters and made some really cool videos. They're, they're on my Instagram, the Zero Instagram. Maybe I'll reshare one just for the, the commemoration yeah. of this episode of finally getting Sam on the actual podcast. Um, <clears throat> when, you, when you're at those competitions in, in, in that sort of environment, does, it, does that fire you up? Yeah, definitely. Like as more of a recreational lifter where, where, again, the competition side of things is really a bit more of an afterthought, like the lifting is what matters and just staying healthy. Um, being in that environment gets you going a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got chills even you saying that. <laughs> like I remember, yeah, like that last deadlift of wheels was just like, <laughs> you know, you just have moments in life that are like, oh, that's like one of the hugest just feelings, you know, yeah. the feels of that. Yeah. Um, and getting to film it as well and just like like I just watched that video so many times afterwards because just the whole room just lit up yeah and um, yeah I, that's why because I love filming stuff but I also love filming people that are just super passionate about stuff mm. like it could be anything just so happens I'm also interested in powerlifting but yeah but um, yeah for instance I was up here filming um, yeah a guy t- talking about lawns and that sort of stuff I knew nothing about lawns but just the passion of that, I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah. Um, so, I, uh, yeah, it's just when it's lifting as well, that's just like a double whammy for me. It's just like yeah. I got the chills. Yeah. For sure. And, I mean, like where you were, it's second best seat in the house. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I have the best seat in the house in those situations, being the coach and being able to, you know, rub the person's shoulders and, and just yeah. watch, watch them like two centimeters away from my face but you're there another two centimeters away from us it's, oh, exactly. it's a great seat to be in you get to really capture and i guess maybe it is a better seat than than being the coach because you don't just see me and him you see me him and the other group of people that's around you know the yeah. background support of it as well i'm really immersed and focused on that person and the lift him mm. or her you know um, but you get to see uh, one step back from that and see you know the other 10 people that are there fucking freaking out as well exactly yeah i was just kind of your shadow over those two yeah. days and it was great because i get you know really cool over the shoulder shots and everything yeah um no i had an awesome time doing that it uh, the the pro roar environment like since it's been at the arnold's is really something else yeah like the environment has always been amazing like i mean let's go back to talking about that novice comp that you did mm-hmm those comps where the room is smaller than the amount of people mm-hmm. and the amount of people are either closely connected to the lifting or their lifters themselves makes the most crazy environment. Like totally. um, you'll hear John and I talking on this show about nationals, GPC nationals in 2013, which was a, a pretty small room, like maybe 200 square meters. And mm-hmm. we had, I don't know, 150 people packed in there. Plus oh, the, wow. plus the you know platform. But back then, because the only people that were coming to these comps were lifters 
and handlers and maybe a little bit of local family or something like that. So the environment when the room is completely full of lifters, it's very different to just friends and family. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so like, for example, that novice comp, the environment was wild, even though it wasn't that many people because a, a big amount of people in a small place plus people invested in the lifting. Uh, and Pro Roar at the Arnold's has been a really good way to suck other people in to that environment. Like yeah. Just the regular Joe Blows walking past. They come in and then at the front rows of all the seats is all the lifters and then everyone's fucking screaming and they see people screaming so they scream and then before you know it you've got you know 500 people screaming at the top of their lungs for will to get his deadlift it's unreal yeah it was crazy because i as soon as i walked into that venue because i'd never been to an arnold's before yeah and just seeing the size of it i was just like oh it's gonna feel because you know you walk in there and you see the pro roll stage and it looks very small in the setting yeah yeah and you kind of wonder oh you know is it just kind of get lost in the rest of the noise and everything um but yeah the atmosphere was insane and mm. and i just remember just fanboying because you know in one eye you've got like arnie and then the other eye like ed cohen and then <laughs> when we recorded the episode with him and everything i was like you know all my christmases have come at once <laughs> so um what was the highlight of that weekend for you um it was you know wheels deadlift um podcasting with ed and then, yeah, once we left your room and it was just me and Ed walking through Melbourne yeah. and just me just sort of trying <laughs> to think of cool questions that would, you know, do his company justice, you know, <laughs> like, oh, you know, you used to do this exercise, you still do much of that and all this sort of stuff. Um, it's, and, it's like a real awkward first date. You want to ask the right questions, but you're like, so do you, um, do you like powerlifting or, you know, oh, fuck, what am I saying? It was totally like that and it felt really funny because everyone else there had obviously spent a lot of time with it so he was just kind of like buddy buddy yeah and so i was just kind of like the new the new new dude <laughs> trying to like uh yeah pick his brain and then i think the next day at the comp i, I knew i got his seal of approval because he he walked past me and just kind of punched me in the chest and then just kept walking <laughs> <laughs> that's it you you know you're friends with ed cohen when he starts bashing you yeah that's it and he starts grabbing you in a choke chokehold and, and putting you out and out of all people i want to bash me he's probably not very high up on the list <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure for sure it was a crazy weekend it was really really good it was how did that how did that our pro rule compare to other pro rules do you reckon that was the best one or up there or yeah I, so i've been to every pro rule since pro rule five um th- they've all been really special in their own way i think probably the most underwhelming pro roar for me out of those five or six or whatever it's been now was number seven number mm-hmm. seven was uh, the last one before switching to the arnold so there was a real short gap between number seven and number eight number seven was also in really close proximity to gpc nationals and it was right. kind of at the time where people were trying to do this like uh, states nationals pro raw states nationals worlds pro raw pro raw worlds um, and a lot of people went really hard that year that was a big year for gpc nationals and a lot of those big lifters then didn't do pro rolls. right so it was a little a little less underwhelming and just like the star factor that arnold's has, has brought it mm-hmm. um pro raw six is a, a really special one for me just because i competed and podiumed and um, that was probably like when I was in the, the, uh, most serious point of my lifting and wanting to be the absolute best. Like I say that I'm still very, very, very invested in being really good at lifting. Yeah. And I yeah. will be as long as I'm trying to get better. Um, but pro Rossix was special for that. Uh, pro Raw nine and pro Raw 11 are really hard to compare. Mm-hmm. Uh, I competed at both. Uh, pro Raw 10 was kind of in the middle and maybe a less a little bit less um uh environmentally crazy mm-hmm. as nine and nine and eleven nine was huge nine was that one where it was will and sebastian again and it was really close and that was just crazy yeah it's like photos taken aback of the crowd when uh when awesome. people are deadlifting in that last flight and it was mental that day went longer so we were in the we were in the hall for longer than we were supposed to be. So everyone else had left and it was just the powerlifters left yeah. and the crowd. And it was, it was just kind of special for that. And then 11, I mean, so much happened at 11. Oh, really? Like that battle, yeah. uh, Dylan. Uh, oh, of course. Dylan. I remember watching that on my phone, actually. I was living in the Gold Coast during that, I think. 
No, 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 11, you were there. That oh, one. 11, yeah. sorry, yeah, I thought that's 12 for some reason. Got my numbers mixed up. Yeah, no, 10, 10 is the one you're yeah. thinking of. Um, yeah, Dylan going going 1,000 pound squat, 900 pound uh, deadlift and, you know, biggest raw total ever by a junior and everything like that. That it was, was unreal. crazy, you know, very, very, very crazy. Um, yeah, that was really special. Will doing Will things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stenzel had an amazing comp. Goobs had an amazing comp. Every, everyone had an amazing comp. Yeah. Uh, besides me. <laughs> well, I was just amazed that you were both coaching and competing on the same day. Like, I, I mean, I guess you've just done that so much that it's just sort of second nature to you that you're so, you've just kind of got, you know, cruise control on coaching people. You just like know exactly what you're doing and stuff that it, you can kind of compete as well. But yeah. I just thought, Man, I reckon if I was competing, I'd just spend so much time in my own head and, you know, mm. I don't know if I'd be much use to other people, but I was pretty amazed at that. Yeah, I mean, like, it kind of serves a dual purpose. For, for a start, before I talk about that, I, I think one thing that comes with coaching and competing uh, at the same time is that people have created a, a mental roadblock to be like, I can't do it, mm-hmm. or my arms are going to be fucked from wrapping, or... Um, I have to focus on my lifters or, or whatever. Um, all valid and, and justifiable roadblocks. But when you c- sort of break it down into time and energy um, and how much time uh, you're spending with a lifter, that's valuable time to spend with them, that mm-hmm. needs to be spent with them. Um, and the, I guess the quality of the time spent with them in terms of what it's actually achieving. If you just look at one lifter at one comp, it's, it's actually quite a very small... Uh, time investment right yeah so especially with the way that i coach on comp day which is very much like spend time with lifters when i need to spend time with lifters uh get them calm and keep them calm yeah so talk shit get their mind focused not on the lifting when they don't need to focus on the lifting refocus on the lifting when they need to make sure they're doing their warm-ups at the right time make sure we're wrapping enough time make sure they are you know sitting where they need to sit all of that stuff when you break it down, you know, if a flight of squats, for example, is going for 45 minutes, of that 45 minutes, let's call it, you know, uh, five minutes per attempt. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 not that, um, it's not that big a time investment. So um, the, the dual purpose that you get then when you're coaching people is while you're doing that, you're also doing the same thing for yourself. So yeah. like if you're my lifter and I'm talking to you and, and helping you chill out by just talking shit... I'm also keeping my mind focused on, uh, oh, sorry, my mind off, uh, over committing to the focus on the lift. Yeah, totally. Um, there's a real art and a real skill to switching on when you need to switch on. And the, I guess the more you can keep your mind distracted or busy or relaxed, uh, the easier it is to find that switch. Yeah. Um, and the more, more appropriate it is. And then, like you say, I've, it's just second nature. I've been doing it for so long. Um, like, uh, I think back through all the GPC nationals and, just GPC comps in general, I've um, I've coached at GPC Nationals 2015 uh, was the equipped one uh, mm-hmm. where I won and I smoked Chera by miles. Like it's not even worth talking about him being in the competition because of how badly I <laughs> fucked him up. Um, <clears throat> but that comp, I had 57 lifters. Wow, that's so huge. I, over the course of the 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 comp, I wrapped 178 attempts I, I think including warm-ups and stuff i calculated and made a made a note of it somewhere once uh, so that's just going off the top of my head might be more might be less but about that uh, bear in mind that was over several days it wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't in one day um states that year i think i had 36 lifters uh, i pb'd at the next comp i had a flight where i had eight of my lifters in the same flight like you just you get used to it after a while and yeah. you adapt to it and you learn skills to systemize things and to make things easier. And I'd be lying if I said I don't have help as well. Mm. Like the the bigger I've got as a coach in terms of like the, I guess the profile of the competitions and lifters that I'm working with, um, I've got people that I trust that come along with me and, you know, like where my skill is really needed is not loading a bar with 90 kilos and wrapping the fourth warm up out it's really being in that person's ear and in their head yeah um closer to the thing and that's not to say that stuff isn't important in terms of you bonding with a lifter as a coach and in terms of you forming that uh, rapport and relationship it's more related directly uh to the person's experience level yeah like if you've been lifting for 10 years as a power lifter you shouldn't need me to guide you through you know your second warm-up on a squat mm-hmm. you should be fine like you've done it so many times that warm-up process that 
It's just automatic. Yeah, at that stage. Overhelp in that sort of scenario might even throw you off if you're used to, you know, doing, let's say you're used to even doing your own wraps or loading your own bar or whatever, and then all of a sudden you get bombarded with all this help it could even pull you out of the experience maybe yeah 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 there's an there's an interesting fine line to walk as well between helping too much Mm -hmm. and being in a person's face so much that you feel like they might run the risk of feel like they're being babied um and babied in the sense that like uh there's something wrong like it's out of the norm um and i don't i i want like when I speak to novices at novice comps, the ones that I don't coach and they're like, oh, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. I say the same thing every time. I'm like, tell me, do you squat in your training? And they're like, yeah. yeah. Do you bench in training? Yeah. Do you deadlift? Of course I do. Yeah. It's like, well, that's all you're doing today. Yeah. <laughs> you just, this is literally, that's all you're doing. Squat, yeah, bench yeah. and deadlift, you know? Uh, when you when you peel back the layers, that's, that's all you're doing. And if you, um, you know, denormalize that and make it weird. Mm. You run the risk of getting in lifters' heads and yeah, freaking totally. them out. I don't want to bombard my lifters. I want them to sort of be in the zone that they need to to be in because every individual is going to be different. There's going to be different psychologies to each lifter, but be able to guide them in the direction that that they need or you know steer them away from. Hey man, you've had your headphones in for ten minutes and I can see you fucking squigging out over there. Just relax. Yeah. Just talk to me. You know what's. Uh, and I wouldn't put it like that. I'd more like walk up to you, pull your earphone out and be like, oh man, look at that person's socks or, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. how good are those fucking, they've got dogs on their socks. How good is that? And like, oh, that belt's so cool. Have you ever used one of them? Just get their mind on something small else. small talk sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I, that's what I noticed with, um, at ProRaw as well. It's like all your lifters, they kind of had an air about them that they were, uh, like they didn't seem as anxious as some of the other lifters that perhaps... And like, I don't know, they were all just sort of making the, you know, talking to one another, talking to you. Um, and it probably puts them at ease knowing that you're competing as well. Because, you know, if someone's talking to you and you're not wigging out and you're both coaching and competing, then they kind of go, well, what do I have to worry about? You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something to said for like, um, <laughs> I hate to say this, like your vibe attracts your tribe, right? Mm. Like look at the lifters who are coaching at coach uh, at comps and lifting. Yeah. Um, look at those lifters who are, you know, headphones in yelling and screaming. All their lifters do that as well. Yeah. And th- there's nothing wrong with that. Like the, the form that's, that's their like little group. That's their thing. And they help all e- each other find that zone. And, you know, um, uh, when you talk about culture and, you know, John and I have spoken about the fact that you as a leader then influence your culture. I'm uncomfortably relaxed. Yeah. Like I'm uncomfortably chill for most people, uh, in the most tense, like, the most tense environments and most stressful environments of competition and high adrenaline situation. I'm just so relaxed and chill and my lifters almost can't help but to feel that rub off onto them. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, everyone knows that powerlifting is a team sport despite it being so individually focused. And like you were just, it's really refreshing to hear you say like, my lift is talking to each other and us interacting as a team and like that attitude and that culture rubbing off onto each other at comps is uh, important to me. It's, it's also really interesting to navigate that when you've got new people or yeah. when like, you know, your friend from Melbourne, my, my coach friend from Melbourne messages me and says, Oh, I've got this coach, this client doing a lifter in Queensland. Can you wrap their knees and look after them? I'll always say yes. I'm always yeah. happy to help, but it's always weird when, they're like not of that culture and Super not of that breed. Yeah. Yeah. Can you fucking punch me in the face before I leave? Just hold your money. Just fuck me up. Like, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I noticed when I came into your gym that first time. Cause I, I hadn't really been to like powerlifting specific gyms, but you know, when you're getting into it and you're watching all the videos and you know, everyone's trying to be like super hardcore and intense and everything. And then, yeah, spoke to you and like kind of expecting like to walk in on some like <laughs> super intense, like, you know, eyeballs popping out of their head, dude. And you're just like, hey, man, yeah, have a lift if you want. Yeah, okay. sweet ass. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And I mean, like, there are moments where, of course, during or before a big lift, everyone's yelling and screaming. And, but um, that's reserved for that moment. That's mm. reserved for when it's necessary. Yeah, exactly. Um, outside of that, it's it's just kind of a bit embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, Okay, I don't want to sound like I'm discouraging it because I'm not. Yeah. It's just not 
like not my personal culture you yeah know. you do what you need to do at the end of the day like if that's the thing that helps you to be in it super intense <laughs> for sure for sure lift uh, or die sort of person and I think you know John and I have spoken about this I know what I like and what works for me just because I've been through all those phases yeah I used to get face slaps before deadlifts and I used to do the yelling and screaming I used to do the full on ammonia fucking snorting before everything um it's yeah just over time i realized you know what i'm actually a real calm person and mm. i lift better when i'm calm yeah right um i don't like heavy metal music and loud music playing when i'm lifting yeah i i like i'm trained as a powerlifter to block out distractions like that yeah but if i become aware of it during a regular training session and, and someone's blasting some like death metal I, I don't have anything against the music genre itself but during lifting, my preference would be something more relaxing because yeah. it puts it, it subconsciously puts me into a more relaxed sort of mood. Yeah, I'm the like, same actually. I yeah. used to lift to also metal, you know, super angry music, and now I just kind of listen to stuff that's like, yeah, like hip hop and stuff. You know, it's a bit more chill, sort of upbeat, confident type stuff. Mm. Um, I find that helps for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just going to ask. So, how's your uh, equipped training? coming along for uh you're competing in like december or something right yeah that's a plan yeah i um i haven't formally announced it on instagram which is obviously how you formally announce that oh, you're doing there you a go. Um, sorry about that no 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 no, no. Uh, that's my full intention though Dece- december 5 is is the competition uh, i've been meaning to make a like a jest full post about it like five weeks out six weeks out this is the time where you post your lifts yeah and you preempt you preempt your failures and so what this does on Instagram then, if you do as you're expecting to do, it's better because people think you've, you know, overcome, yeah, <laughs> overcome everything that was going to go wrong. Of course. Even if you're on track to do that anyway. And if you do really poorly, it's okay because you've preempted that. Yeah. So I'll make a post this week of like, oh, my shoulder's really sore. Because I did. I hurt my shoulder last week walking out. Um, but it's fine. Like yep. I squatted 350 for a double the next week and it hurt but it held together yeah that was amazing but but if i make that post now then if it gets worse i and i pull out or i don't do very well at the comp i can be like yeah the shoulder just got the best of me yeah but if i do really well then it's like fuck he overcame the shoulder injury you know that's it he's the man yeah for sure it's the art of instagram yeah, no, that's uh, that's great. And again, apologies for uh, dropping that bombshell <laughs> no, 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 on no, no. the podcast. No, it's not a bombshell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm saying this all in all in jest, but um, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it hasn't been a a long prep. Like mm-hmm. originally, I just put briefs on uh, as a um, I my hip got really badly flared up in my last raw block before lockdown. Mm-hmm. I, I was on track to to. PB across the board like I, I pulled a 340 deadlift off program um, which is uh, huge for me yeah um, raw I mean um, and squats that's a PB right yeah squats yeah. were going really well I was programmed 290 for 5 reps uh, which would have been a massive PB for me um, and in that session my hip wasn't good so I bailed I just did a single and I was like oh, there's no point pushing through this and since then it's just gone downhill so it's been uh, you know it was 4 months over lockdown and then a couple more months getting back in after lockdown and uh, between the physio and myself I was like now I'm gonna uh, I'll, I'll chuck on some suit bottoms or some briefs uh, and see if that just alleviates the pain and I can just squat um, and it, because it stabilizes me I don't get as much twisting and don't contribute to the pain any further so I did that for a block and I was like oh, I'm actually enjoying this again yeah um, nice. so I did it for another block and then I was like you know what I'm gonna chuck in um, I'm gonna chuck in some uh, some assisted bench so I did some uh, like Titan Ram, it's like a, I guess the closest thing to a shirt without wearing a shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. So the next block, which was the block I just finished, uh, I went a deadlift suit bottoms, bench shirt, uh, squat suit bottoms. Yeah. And so because that's been a pretty successful block, I've got one more block and that'll tie into a comp. So I've really only had the last four to six weeks of deciding, okay, I'm doing equipped again for this comp. Uh, so I'm not expecting anything huge at the comp, mm-hmm. uh, but based on the numbers that I did this week I should be well ahead of where my numbers were in 2015 yeah there'll be some PBs there for sure so, yeah. yeah and different circumstances like I'm a little bit bigger now yeah I competed at 100 back then I'll be like 115 mm-hmm. um, I'm fully single ply this time last time I wore multiply on squats and I'm pretty sure I I wore a single ply 
suit, but it was way too loose for me, so I put briefs underneath it for deads. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bench was single play, and I'm walking out this time rather than using a mono. Yeah, wow. Is that super difficult in a suit? I think th- this is one of those things like... Um, coaching on the same day as lifting if you tell yourself it is you'll probably find it hard yeah in my head it just seems like it'd be you know when you put wraps on then that's a like more difficult to to walk out obviously than if you just got sleeves on sometimes and yeah it's relative though Uh, like if when you put wraps on you always use a mono Mm -hmm. it's going to feel hard as fuck when you go to walk it out Mm. Um, for me personally i pretty much walk out all my training up until if i'm doing say a pro raw or something you know uh, maybe six weeks out of the comp, eight mm-hmm. weeks out of the comp, I'll start using the mono. Yep. I, I, I like the skill of walking out. Maybe I'm a bit old school. Um, uh, most of the time, I prefer not to have a lot of assistance when I lift. Like, yep. um, I'll get spotters when I need spotters, but I, I try not to have much in the way of, I don't have people wrap my knees. I try not to have people help me get up or anything. It's, it's not, a, it's just part of my routine. Yeah. Um, I feel like me focusing on other people uh, takes me out of my zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because, you know, most of my lifting career, I've been looking after myself. It's only been since I've had the gym and especially in the last few years where I've had a crew of lifters around me. Yeah. Uh, so it's still quite a foreign thing to me. I love having the support, of course. Um, but yeah, I, d- I prefer to do things by myself. And so part of that means when you're squatting, you walk out. Yeah, yeah. So, so as far as the... Um like if you're program for programming for yourself for an equipped meet versus a normal meet, uh-huh. besides from percentages being a lot higher, do does like exercise selection, sets, reps, uh, you like does that change much, or do you kind of keep it fairly consistent with with if you were programming for a raw lifter? Exactly the same. Exactly the same. Uh, I shouldn't say exactly the same, yep. but the uh, like the fundamental guiding principles are the same. So therefore, the program is going to be the same. Mm-hmm. Where the art and the difficulty of it is, is the introduction of the the relative layers of equipment. So, yeah. like um, when do you put the straps up on your suit? When do you add tighter knee wraps? When do you touch on the chest with the with your shirt? When do you add the straps on on deadlifts? And that's where it gets a little bit intricate. Um, like you're not going to do five sets of eight full equipped. Yeah. Uh, and if you are, you're not doing it in your full equipment as in your comp equipment. Yeah. Because if you are, then you're just not training with equipment that's tight enough to justify being equipped. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Um, so uh, that aspect, the consideration of how many reps and, and stuff, that, that changes based on the le- layers of equipment. But the actual programming approach for me is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that has happened is uh, the nature of me now only having done full equipped for one block and now one more block into the comp i haven't been able to do volume as in yeah. normally in so in this uh block that i just did which i'd consider uh to be called a transition block mm-hmm. um which is between a uh you know the a technique phase the lower 80 percent and the peaking at 90 percent. so sort of between 80 and 90 percent um Fuck, what was I saying? Uh, <laughs> Haven't been able to do a volume uh, Yeah, sorry. No, yeah. N- normally, it would be, you know, if I'm doing triples, it'd be four, five, six sets of three. Yeah. Um, because the nature of going from next to no equipment to almost full equipment uh, has made the percentage di- disparity so big, mm-hmm. the fatigue from doing a big triple is messed up. So yeah. I'm typically on squats and deadlifts only doing one top set. Right. rather than three or four and on bench two top sets rather than five or six right that's that's been the major so difference so what you're saying is intensity is more important than the high volume <laughs> that's definitely not what i'm saying uh because like let's say i backed this up and went when and aimed for a comp in march or april yeah i would go back to full-on volume in equipment yeah right so like loose set of briefs or suit bottoms and doing six it's a six yeah totally because now i'll be a little bit more conditioned to that overload factor at the moment i'm just not yeah and my body's getting thrashed like your lower back gets trashed when you go from having 220 250 kilos on your back to 320 350 yeah. in the space of four weeks that's huge so yeah it's the 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 little cracks start to show up and um it also becomes like a risk or reward thing right maybe i've got the conditioning work capacity to do three sets of three 
but is my body going to break under that? And if my body breaks under now a hundred yeah, kilos no. overloaded, that's, that's messed up. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm guessing like the inj- like the chance potential for injury in a suit, I guess it would kind of depend on like, on one hand, it's like supporting your joints and everything. Yeah. But on the other hand, like with a percentage way higher, like any kind of misgroove or whatever is just amplified. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely more volatile. I don't know if I'd say it's more volatile in terms of injury, but certainly, certainly in terms of potential, just because of the the increased load, if you haven't given it the time to develop the skill, and I haven't given it the time to develop the skill this time around. Yeah. So yeah. Do you find it's like coming back to you, or you're learning new things this time around, or? No, no, no. I mean, it's come back really yeah. quickly, um, but. Yeah, I mean, like the difference between having three blocks of shirted bench versus three weeks yeah. is kicking me out, kicking my ass. And because I'm a, a much different size than last time I used equipment, all my equipment's different. Yeah, right. You were um, a lot lighter when you last competed. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like uh, at the moment, I'm walking around at sort of 117, 118. Uh, then I cut from 107, so about 10 kilos body weight difference. Yeah, wow. Um, I'm actually using the same single-ply suit, so that's significantly tighter. Yeah. Uh, so getting used to that, um, I'm using completely different shirts, and I've chopped and changed the shirt twice, and I'm about to do it a third time. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, you know, because I can't fit into my old shirt, no chance. Um then I had one shirt, it's been too big. And then I've got another shirt that I've been using the last couple of weeks, which was a custom for someone else. Mm-hmm. And it's great. It's just weird. Yeah. Like it's, it, the person had weird proportions. So it just doesn't feel quite very familiar. Yeah. 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 And I, I just don't think I can push as far as I could push in a, in a better fitting shirt. So um, Ben Polk, a guy in my gym, uh, he, he's just loaned me an, another shirt that I'm going to try week after next after my deload mm-hmm. uh, and then I've got three weeks to figure it out <laughs> that's exciting so if I can't figure it out at least I know I've got a backup yeah totally yeah the uh, the workout time must increase dramatically trying to do you know equipped lifting as far as getting in and out of suits and shirts and stuff yeah I mean it, it just depends on um, uh, how good you are at putting them on and off what kind of help you have with it um, and how, how tight you're using it yeah um, I would say I'm using a training fit not a comp fit mm-hmm. uh, so for example my uh, the suit that I've been using the squat and deadlift suit it's just a squat suit you wear it backwards for deadlifts um, which is a Titan Super Centurion I've had a you know I can slip on without any assistance mm-hmm. like I can literally pull it, pull it on with my hands and now that I've switched into that old one uh, that's much tighter uh, I have to hang off a power rack and dangle around a bit. Like legit takes less than three minutes to get I into it. So yeah. it's not it's not that much more time consuming. I think um, putting it on gasses me out, and the fact that I need to be pretty fresh for those big big lifts and mentally more than anything. Yeah. Um, I increase the rest periods a little bit longer. In general, I have pretty short rest periods though, mm-hmm. uh, and the accessory work I do really quickly. So. My workouts aren't that much longer. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'd say... I'd say they're about the same time. Yeah. yeah. Did you just say you put on the suit backwards and then that, do you switch it around for both squats and deadlifts? Yeah, so a, a deadlift suit is, I'm pretty sure, based off a squat suit worn backwards. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm not exactly sure of why putting it on backwards makes a change for a deadlift. Yeah, that's interesting. But it does. Yeah. <laughs> and it's common practice. Um, what I think it is to do with is the way that it uh, uh, talks your back. Yeah. Um, so in a squat suit, uh, one f- forwards when you're squatting, um, I guess there's less demand or less need to uh, have your back straight against the suit because the the scoop on the on the front where your chest is is a little bit lowered. So when you turn that around and it's a bit higher, it tries to pull you into more of a background. And right. the, the way equipment works in general um, is it's essentially trying to put you into the worst possible positions. And if you can fight that, it creates torque or tension in the suit and that gives you the, the pop, right? Yeah. Um, so because I guess you're, you're looking at deadlifts now being more, um, uh, more torso-centric, uh, by talking that maybe you get more out of it that's legit me guessing yeah uh, I, I don't actually know why they do that but it definitely makes it feel more difficult from the standpoint of getting into position which makes it more easy when you go to pull yeah right is it super difficult to sort of 
yeah, like squat down and pick up the bar. Like, yeah. yeah, that's why people, you know, people say, oh, deadlifting in a suit is much harder, right? Mm. Um, I wouldn't say it's harder, it's different. Yeah. It's, it's recognizing that squat and bench press, you start with the eccentric. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in equipped, you've got load and your hands are on your back to help you down there. With a deadlift, you, you have to create the eccentric in your setup. So you've got no real load. Um, which makes it hard to grab the bar in the first place and then you really have to use the bar to force yourself down a position. Yeah. And if you're not strong enough or stable enough to resist the tension of the suit, it just does nothing for you. Yeah. Oftentimes it fucks your position rather than helps it. And I've heard, it yeah, like a lot of people often say that they don't get much out of, you know, the deadlift wearing a suit, but obviously squats and bench is huge. But, but you said that you get quite a bit out of deadlift, right? Yeah, yeah. And a big part of that is just because of how cooked my hips are, I think. You yeah. know, a suit helps me stabilize them to the point where I can express that power a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It's, all, it's all about technical skill as well. Like the technique in equipped versus raw is not different. Mm. Uh, it's just more important to uh, get right. Get it right, yeah. Yeah, like there's, there's less margin for error with it. And like I said, you know, the way equipment works, if your technique on deadlifts is shit, mm. like if you're pulling with a really rounded back, uh, you're not going to create torque against the suit. It's going to make you feel worse. Yeah. And now yeah. you're trying to shove more weight into it. Like, um, it, it, it more becomes about like, are you technically proficient? So I, I don't think you get more or less out of suit. It's more up to you to determine. Like, you can't just say, oh, I'm a deadlifter. I don't get much out of my deadlift suit. It's like, no, you don't know how to get much out of your deadlift suit. Yeah. A bit of a difference. Like you haven't practiced enough. Oh, yeah. So so which... Which sort of uh, deadlift variation are you preferring now with your with your hips? Like, notice you've done a lot of conventional stuff. Do you think you'll continue with conventional or like say comp time? Like, which would you choose? I'll always pull sumo and comp. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say I'll always pull sumo and comp. Never know. At the moment and for the last six years, I've been more comfortable uh, and therefore stronger in a sumo position. Um, My training in general is 80% conventional. Yeah. Um, less about stress on the hips. Uh, I think sumo shouldn't put more stress through your hips necessarily if you're stabilizing them well. There's more opportunity to put stress through your hips mm-hmm. uh, because like, if you're not stabilizing them, you're going to fuck you back to a conventional anyway. Uh, more so because conventional has, uh, in my opinion, better carryover to sumo and squats than, yeah. than sumo does. Um, so uh, if you've got the skill of sumo, you shouldn't be using it very often um, if you're new to sumo, you should be learning that skill more. So my my training in general is more around conventional. Yeah, uh, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, like that 340 I pulled earlier in the year raw was sumo. Yeah. I was doing a sumo block because I was about to peak strength. Um, I wouldn't pull conventional in a suit though. It feels like shit. Oh, right. <laughs> even, even harder to get in the position. All that sort of stuff. <laughs> I just don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel good. <laughs> doesn't feel good. But su- sumo in the suit feels really nice at the moment. So. Yeah, awesome. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Cool. We've filled up an episode's worth. Yeah. Who needs John? Oh, oh, we shouldn't be too rude to him. He's <laughs> Love a, you, John. He's just, just kidding. He's all right in small just doses. Just in your chain, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam, thank you so much for uh, a coming on board, but b keeping the podcast going. No, my pleasure. Putting it all together. Um, again, uh, if you're listening and you're keen to check out Sam's work from a um, you know, an artist perspective, check out Loomis prints, buy some of his prints, use that code. We're going to throw up. Yeah. I'll put that in the, uh, in the description and in the Instagram post. So awesome, man. Yeah. That's it. Let's do the explosion noise and we're done. <laughs> that was awesome. Well done. <laughs> Wait, we're recording again because, uh, I'm an idiot and I forgot to ask you the four questions that we ask every guest oh, that comes yeah. on. And it's weird, I don't even remember them, even though I put them together every... No, that's okay. Okay, question one. Uh, what is your favorite lifting memory? Either as a lifter or as a videographer? Hmm. I mean, as a lifter, it's probably my probably my comp. Yeah. Um, doing the final deadlift and just finally getting the actual taste for you know, the crowd and, you know, lifting in front of a crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then other is probably, yeah, Will's, Will's deadlift at Pro Raw. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that'd probably be my two that I can think of. Yeah, awesome. Um, and then what was the next question? What's one piece of advice that you'd give oh, any oh. any lifter starting out besides get a coach? Probably to not get too like hung up on 
like probably more importantly just be consistent and just be doing whatever you're doing consistently rather mm-hmm. than like fussing too hard about oh I'm on this program for a week and then I'm trying to just like find whatever stick with it for 12 weeks or whatever yeah. and then assess where you're at from there as opposed to just chopping and changing oh, I'm a powerlift from a bodybuilder on this on that like just have that patience to stand the sort of uh, I mean, it's hard to say to a new lifter who's just keen to try everything, but yeah, I just sort of say be patient and consistent um, with how many sessions you get per week and, and the exercises you're doing. Uh-huh. And then same question, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to someone starting out, but in photography slash videography? Ooh, I would say um, kind of in similar vein, actually, don't get too hung up, like strung out on like what equipment you need or need to get the best camera or whatever because it's a really expensive game once you get into it. Um, so my, my partner, um, Charlotte, actually, she uh, was looking at getting a camera recently, um, you know, SLR and like, all the works, macro lenses and stuff. Uh, and I just sort of said, like, what do you want to take photos of? And she, she just said she wanted to kind of like when we're out and about take a few close-ups and stuff. Mm. Um, she ended up just buying a lens for her, like, phone, like a clip-on zoom lens that was, you know, 100, 200 bucks or whatever. Um, as opposed to shelling out, you know, like a couple of grand on everything and then finding out you're either not, not interested or you're not really doing anything with the photos anyway. Yeah. And then you've just got really expensive paperweights sitting around, around the place, you know. My bag is like, so it's just, if I like add up what I've spent on everything, it's just like, geez, like, why don't I charge more? <laughs> so that's what I'd say. I'd say keep it simple first, like even if it's a disposable camera. Yeah. Get your compositions right, get your framing right before you keep just bleeding money into it. Mm. Cool, cool, cool. Um, what is one thing that you uh, used to believe very firmly in the context of lifting uh, that you no longer believe? Uh, this was assisted by you, actually, and it's the whole premise of um, like weak point training. Like I used to sort of think you know like you read online about oh you know my bench stops halfway up so my triceps are weak so a million pushdowns for you uh and what what i kind of realized working with you was it's more about um usually it's more of a matter of you know stability and uh um you know like shoulder stability and just the motion itself rather than one element of it Mm. you know people are quick to diagnose slow off the floor as one thing whereas you sort of taught me to look at it bigger picture you know as a whole and the reason why i kind of um i believe in that now too is because i totally used to do the whole triceps a week so do a million things and then still realize that my bench sucks (laughs) Uh, bench still sucks but uh (laughs) but i feel we're closer to the you know the puzzle there so that's kind of what i learned awesome and uh one person they have to be alive right now uh, who you could go to dinner with and pick their brain on any topic who would it be doesn't have to be lifting. It's a really tough one. I feel like I would have used to have said Elon Musk before he went crazy. Why not now then? That's even better. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just feel like he sort of... I, I feel like I disagree with a lot of the things he says nowadays. But yeah. like when he was you know like coming up and like all the things he was doing, I was like, this man's amazing. And now he's just kind of like a Twitter meme. So I don't know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he's cooked himself or something. Yeah. Um, but I mean, also just like, it's kind of such a common answer, but like, I'd love to sit with Arnie and just like hear about his life basically. Yeah. Um, you know, not that I'm like a diehard, you know, like best, you know, posters on the wall or anything, but just as far as someone that's like had as many experiences as he, as he has, I just think he'd have some pretty cool life lessons and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, really cool. I think it'd be amazing. Yeah, for sure. All right. That's it. All done. Now it's your turn to do the... uh...